I'm going to speak to you this morning about this controversial portion in uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 18. I'm going to read it to you. If you're following in your Bibles, it says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Now remember the big theme of what we're trying to explore in 1 Peter is how can we learn as Christians to live well when things are tough, when life is throwing lemons, when everything around you is changing, how can we be consistent and live well when things are difficult? And I would, uh, sure we would all agree that the last number of years have been difficult for every single one of us, and they don't seem to be getting any easier right now with what is happening in Ukraine. So how do we live well? How do we live courageously? How do we live with faith? And Peter has much, much to say to us to encourage us as believers. Now, I said to you last week that these verses are famous for their difficulty, and they've had many, many different interpretations over the centuries. But I just want to begin by reminding you of Peter's logic, his argument, his thought process. Remember, we looked at verse 17, and uh, he said he said to us as believers, if you're going to suffer, make sure that you su- you're suffering for, what, for doing good, that you're not suffering for doing stupid things or suffering for what is evil. Um, yeah? So don't be stupid and blame it on, on the fact that you're a Christian and say you're being persecuted by others when you're actually just being dumb, when you're being silly, when you're not thinking clearly. Don't suffer like that, but suffer for what is doing good. Yes? That's what he says in verse 17. And then verse 18, we looked at last week, Peter said, Jesus is the prime example of so- someone who's suffered unjustly, but through whom God's purpose was worked in His salvation plan for the whole of humanity. And in the end, Jesus triumphed in the most dramatic and amazing way through a life that seemed to be defeated came great victory on the cross and by the power of His resurrection. And so Peter reminds us, he says, actually, whatever you're going through, that's where it ends. And so if I had to pick a title for my message, Uh, I'm just picking one right now. It would be this. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't take your eyes off the prize, all right? In spite of what is going on around us right now, there's a great victory that Jesus lived out in his resurrection, his ascension. And Peter's point is the same is true for every single one of us that believe my faith. Ultimately, there's victory for you and for me through what Jesus has done on the cross that is sure and steadfast and certain, and this is the main thought that Peter now, with the, uh, this really obscure example, is trying to illustrate. Remember, I said to you in homiletics when you learn to preach, they say, if you're going to choose an example, make sure it's 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 an example that is clear and simple and illustrates your point. Well, yeah, Peter should have chosen another example, perhaps, because it seems to be quite confusing in what he says here, uh, and how do we understand it? So. It says to me to remind you again that after Jesus rose from the dead, he went to proclaim his triumph to imprisoned spirits known in the history of the world. Verse 19. 
And now this is the contentious part. What does Peter mean when he talks about imprisoned spirits? And there have been all different interpretations over the centuries. Depending on how you view the Greek, the original Greek and the translations, various people have come up with various interpretations of what these verses mean. And here the first group um, say this, that actually this is referring to Jesus going down to Hades or to the, to the uh, realm of the dead at the time between his death and his resurrection. So in those three days, he descended down into Hades and he preached salvation to those that were still captive. All right? Now, there's a, one of the church fathers, Clement of Alexandra, who lived 200 AD. He, he taught that. That's what he said this portion means. And then this is um, also gets complicated because people who believe that, they're kind of divided into one group, into two groups. Some of them say that he announced, Jesus went and announced judgment to those that were being held captive. And so others say, no, he didn't do that. He went and announced salvation. He preached salvation to them. They were still held captive. And it seems that over the years, John Calvin, one of the famous reformers, he, he kind of held to that view as well. But then there's another group of people who say it was actually a pre-incarnate, because it says Jesus was made alive in the Spirit, and in the Spirit he went down. That's what it says in, in the translation. So there, some people say it's actually a pre-incarnate form of Jesus preaching through Noah to those people that were held captive in his day. I know this gets complicated, but this is what people say. And uh, Augustine believed that. There was a, actually a pre-incarnate version, uh, not version, pre-incarnation of Jesus who was preaching to those that were held captive in those days. But there's a third group of people who actually hold and say, no, Peter didn't mean that. He actually meant, he didn't mean people. He actually meant spirits, imprisoned spirits. And I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> and uh, a couple of times woke up during the, the week to, because of, I knew I had to preach this and I, I, I wanted to put it um, as best as I can. And as, as I've considered all of these options and thought about it, I actually believe that this is what Peter is saying, that he is talking about imprisoned spirits, fallen angels that were involved in the world at the time of Noah's life in Mesopotamia. And so I say that because he seems to be referencing Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, which is also an obscure um, portion of Scripture, and he also seems to be referencing a book that is not part of the canon, a book called the Book of Enoch, which is an apocryphal book, which um, people still, Catholics still have the apocrypha at the back of their Bible, and uh, it's included in the apocrypha. So what do we know about this book, Enoch? Well, it's apocryphal, as I've said. It means that it's not included in the canon. Uh, but it was very well known in the early centuries of the church, in the first um, couple of centuries of the church, and it's part of what is called apocalyptic literature, okay, in the, in the scripture. Uh, and that was very popular 200 years before Jesus until 100 or years after Jesus lived and died, particularly with um, Jewish people and early Christians. And why it was so popular is because it contained visions or uh, revelation, if you like, from the term that's why we call it apocalyptic. It's from the Greek, which means revelation or disclosure. And these visions that were written about, they, they, they concerned the end of 
the age, and they concerned the coming of Messiah. And so it's this kind of prophetic language, speaking about the end of the world and anticipating Messiah coming. It's kind of, uh, if you get what I'm trying to say. And it was very popular with the Jewish people in those times because they were under such pressure. They had been under the Romans for hundreds of years, and they were crying out and saying, God, deliver us. And so there's this prophetic language in these books that, um, that uh, we can see. And um, in the broadest sense, this word apocalyptic, we can apply it to some writing in, in, in the Scripture, in the Old Testament. So some passages in Joel, for example, and Amos, and Zechariah, and Daniel. And, of course, in the New Testament, Revelation is part of this, apolo- um, this, this apocalyptic literature. But it's also important for me to say that the majority of this literature, including Enoch, came into existence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestimonial period. And much of the literature that was written at that time was not included in the canon of Scripture, neither by Jewish people or by Christians. So this book of Enoch, I'm not saying, I'm not holding and saying that it has the same weight as Scripture, not at all. But it was used by the early church fathers to illustrate some of the things that they were teaching. And so uh, this is the the, the whole um, background of, of this book. And so people like Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Arrhenius, Tertullian, all the church fathers, they knew this book, they quoted from this book, and they referenced this book, but they all agreed it shouldn't be part of the canon. All right? Is that, is that clear? Okay, so here we go. So this is how I think it fits into the story of Peter. In Genesis 6 verse 1, there's a strange verse which says this, and it seems to be speaking of the, falli- the falling of angels through their connection with human beings. And it simply says this. It says, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth the do- and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of, the, of humans were beautiful and they married them as they chose. And then verse 4 says this. Genesis 6 verse 4 says, the Nephilim, they, these beings are called Nephilim, were on earth these, uh, in, during these days And afterwards, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans and had children with them, and they were the heroes of old, men of renown, and then it says, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great wickedness of the human race had become on all the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. And so as a result of this, we see the judgment that God brings through Noah, Uh, through the flood and through Noah being delivered by building the ark that saves them. And so it seems to me that Peter is actually referencing this story in Genesis, and he's referencing Enoch as well, which expands on that story. And uh, again, I'll just read a little bit from Enoch, the book of Enoch, chapter 6. It takes that idea of fallen angels, and it expands it a little bit, and it implies that through these fallen angels, evil came into the world in every kind of way. And so it says this, It came to pass, after the children of men had increased in those days, beautiful and comely daughters were born to them, and the angels, the sons of the heavens, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Behold, we will choose for ourselves wives from amongst the children of men, and we will we will have children. And it names a whole lot of these angels that have fallen. 
And in chapter 7, it says, they took themselves wives and each chose one for themselves. And uh, they began to teach them different things. And it says they became pregnant and they brought forth these giant uh, people. Uh, and these giants turned against humanity and they started um, uh, devouring humanity and the creation. And then it says, in verse 6 of chapter 7, the earth complained of the unjust, uh, this unjust one, these unjust ones. And so the implication is people on earth cried out to God. And I'm just going to paraphrase what happens. It says that uh, as the people cried out to God, God sends Michael and God sends Gabriel, the archangels, to to take these, these fallen angels and put them in prison until the day of judgment. So there's this idea. This is, what, this, this is what happens. And they are inflicted in prison until judgment is to come on that final day. And this is quite a common language in the New Testament. I'm just going to reference for you uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 4, which is the same thing. Jude 6 is the same thing, this idea that evil spirits are being kept captive for the, until that day of final judgment. And Revelation 22 also says, speaks of the great dragon, the serpent that is held captive for a thousand years. And so part of the story is that God, in His mercy, speaks to Noah. And He says, this is going to happen. There's judgment coming. Because of the evil that I see all over the world, and I'd always, whenever I read that verse in, in Genesis 6, um, it, it really strikes me again where G God says that the wickedness of the human heart, every inclination of their thoughts is evil all of the time. And that's, why, that's why God brings judgment. It's, it's, it's quite an incredible thing to, to think about. And so in His mercy, God says to Noah, this is going to happen. You build an ark. And I'm going to deliver you through the ark. That's the story of Genesis. And so why does Peter use this obscure example? Um, it would have been well known to Peter as a Jewish believer, but it sounds very, very strange to our 21st century ears. And I want to just suggest three things to you this morning. First is this. As Christians, every one of us should always remember that we are in a spiritual battle. Yeah? So important for us to remember. As Christians, every one of us are living in a spiritual battle. We've seen already that in Peter's life, in early Christian life, in the first centuries, it was tough. It was really, really hard for them. I've told you already that Peter was killed by Nero in around AD 64. And tradition says he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be suffering in the same way that Jesus did. And if you read, uh, Helen quoted from Hebrews this, this morning, if you read the, the great chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about myriad of people that have suffered and died for the kingdom. It says some of them were pulled in two, some of them were sawn in half, some of them were killed by lions, some of them, it just lists all of these things and says the world has not been worthy of these people, they suffered for Christ. It was tough to be a Christian in the first century, and Peter is saying that. The culture was pagan. It didn't honor God. It didn't honor Christians. In fact, it killed Christians because they said there's only one true God, and the true God is not the emperor. That's what the Romans most objected to because they worshiped all kind of gods, but they didn't like the fact that the Christians said the emperor is not divine. There's only one being. He is the God, our Father, the creator of the universe. His name is, is Jesus. He's the only true God. That's why they were killed. And Paul 
Peter expands on this idea of a spiritual battle in 1 Peter 5 when he says this. Have you heard this scripture? Be alert. He's going to encourage us later. Be alert, every one of you. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. For Peter and the early Christians, the spiritual battle was real. They knew they were in a battle. They were suffering. And Peter's reminding them of that. And so the picture for Peter is that he's reminding them that just as God was faithful to deliver Noah, who was being absolutely persecuted in his generation by all of the Mesopotamians, he was being persecuted for what he believed, made fun of because he was building an ark. They all mocked him and said, you're crazy. In the same way God delivered him, Peter is saying for, to the people he's writing at in his, in his day, in the same way, this suffering that we are going through, this persecution that we're going through, God is faithful to deliver us, and he will. That's what Peter's saying. He's using the same example. And the implication is, for you and I, the same is true. So even if you feel like you are a tiny major, a minority in a world that is the majority that does not honor God, Peter's promise to you and to me is God will deliver us. Salvation will come. Do not lose heart. The victory has been won in Jesus. He is faithful and he will deliver you in the same way as he delivered Noah, as he delivered Peter, as he delivered Christ. Out of death into life, he will do the same for you. Do not lose heart when you suffer. That's what he's saying. And so maybe you do feel like a tiny majority in the world right now. You feel like your, the culture is just squeezing you to conform, and you feel persecuted. You feel, I was chatting to someone the other day who said in the workplace, they, they feel so, so like they can't even speak about Jesus. Can't even say, ask about faith. Can't even, people are just like, so mm, you don't even mention that. It's like squeezes the life out of you that you can't even speak about faith. If you feel like that, What's the promise of Peter to you? God will deliver you from that kind of suffering. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know when it's going to come, but he will deliver us. That's his promise. That's the first reason I think Peter uses this example. is to remind us all that we are faced with a real spiritual battle, which is shown through evil behavior on earth, through people. And behind their evil behavior are evil beings and forces the devil who's trying to influence what's happening on earth. Peter's saying it's a real battle. Remind yourself of that. He has the, prob he has the, he has the problem. We don't need to get weird in that, right? Remember that Peter, uh, Paul also reminds and says you don't have to have special knowledge, gnosis. The Greeks believed that only a few people had special revelation called gnosis, knowledge. And no one else had this special revelation. Only they did. And if you had that special revelation, you were okay. And if you didn't have the special revelation, you would never know God. And what does Paul say? He says, no. This, this, the revelation of God has been made plain through the gospel to every single believer. You don't have to be a special person. You don't have to have special revelation that no one else has. God has made it plain through the life of Jesus. And all you need to do is believe by faith, and you're saved, and you're made right with Him. And that's all that needs to happen. It is plain. It is obvious. And that's why I keep saying to you, to encourage you, 
when you hear people say they've got special revelation that no one else has, just say, no. I have all the revelation I need in Jesus. That's going to guard you against all sorts of weird stuff. The gospel has made it plain that everyone can see. It's not confusing. That's the promise of God to all of us. Right? Secondly, the reason that, Paul says this, uh, that Peter says this is that to show us the fact that persecution continues and is allowed to continue is to show us that God is really patient in bringing judgment. Do you notice that in Genesis, it, it's at pains to point out how patient God was. It says that God was patient in that day until he could not wait anymore, and then he brought judgment. And so it's, it's, the, 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 um, the language is God is incredibly patient with people. He gives them a long time to repent and judge, and at the last moment, he brings judgment, and that is what he did in the day of Noah. He waited as long as he could. And what was true for Noah is true in Peter's day. And it's true for us right now. We might be crying out and saying, God, God, why is it taking so long? Why don't you deliver us now? Please, God, we need your deliverance now. I've woken up many mornings and just said, Jesus, I would be really happy if you came right now. Any of you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> Jesus, I'd be really happy if you came today. I, I, I just like feel, ah, take me out of here. Beat me up, Scotty. Let's get out of here. Let's get on with things. Never felt like that. And it says that in the same way, God will deliver us. But what was true for Noah's day and true in Peter's day. See, this is why I say to people, we are living in the end times. Do you think the early Christians thought they weren't living in the end times? Of course they did. They were crying out to God saying, deliver us from these Romans. Messiah, please come. They were living in the end times. We're still living in the end times. We're still crying out for deliverance. We're still crying out for freedom from sin. We're still crying out what Jesus has done for us is assured but there's a longing in us to be reconciled to God. And that's right. What does Paul say? He says, all of creation is groaning. The whole of creation is waiting for redemption. It's groaning. It's saying, come, Lord Jesus. It's saying, God, come and reconcile the whole of creation to yourself. That's what we're waiting for. We should have that longing. Amen? That deep God, please, come, move, deliver your people. And so... The mind-blowing thing for me in all of this is that Peter is saying, you know, you can see evil in the world. You cannot understand it. At the end of the day, you don't have to worry too much about it. That's what he's really saying. He's saying, don't let it so consume you that you can't function properly. That you are so overwhelmed with the evil of the world that you can't actually function properly in the world and live your life and be a blessing to others. Why does he say that we can be like that? Is that we're being uncompassionate? No, of course we're going to help people from Ukraine. Of course we're going to reach out to the poor. Of course we're going to do all that we can to help people that are suffering. But, 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 but Peter is saying to this, don't be overwhelmed by it because Jesus has overcome death. And Jesus has overcome suffering, and that is the final word for everyone, for all of us. 
and I'm, I can see I'm very loud, and people are going, cool. But Jesus has won the victory over death, over suffering, over the evil one, and you can rest in that knowing that just as he was faithful to Noah and Peter, he will be faithful to you, and deliverance is coming for you. Do not lose heart. Come on. And I'm just doing my best to remind you of that. Do not lose heart. Unjust suffering ultimately leads to triumph, not to death, not to depression. It leads to victory. It leads to triumph. Jesus triumphed over all the evil in the world. Of every, every demon has been put under his feet. Satan has been put under his feet. Sickness has been put under his feet. And he has triumphed over all. He's already done it, and there's another fullness of that that will come. And so Peter's saying to his friends, and I'm saying to you this morning, even though we suffer for a while, even though things are tough for a while, and that's always the thing with the Scripture, you never know how long the while is. Things are tough for a while. Don't know how long the while is. But ultimately, there's a highway that leads to victory and over wickedness, over death, over evil, and Peter is saying to all of us, don't lose heart. That is sure. That is absolutely certain. And so just as Noah in the ancient world was, was mocked by those around him, God still delivered him through terrible, terrible opposition, and he was brought safely through. It says, remember, it says only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And we're going to look at that, what that means next week. So my friends, Jesus has triumphed over every evil, over every spirit. He's conquered death. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. No matter what happens, you too will triumph. That is sure and certain. And that's sure and certain for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. Everyone who lives by faith, suffering, injustice, wickedness, does not have the last say in your life. Tyrants have come and gone over the generations. Caesar came and went. Hitler came and went, Stalin came and went, Mao came and went, Putin will come and go, I promise you. And good will always triumph over evil because of what Jesus has done for us in the cross and through the cross. And we might have to hang tough for a while, and it might get really ugly for a while, but he is the king who reigns and rules. Do not lose heart. God is with you. Amen.